church family. My name is Kelly Thomas, and I serve with our Community Life team. Just a few announcements as we head into worship this morning. Here at Wheaton Bible Church, we believe in the power of prayer, and we all go through seasons where we need others to pray with us and for us. Our staff comes together every Tuesday morning for prayer, and we love to pray for you. If you're in need of prayer, you can submit a request at wheatonbible.org prayer, or you can use a comment card this morning and fill it out and drop it off at the welcome desk in the atrium as you leave. For those of you who've been attending for a while and you're ready to take the next step to make Wheaton Bible Church your church home, the new members class on Sunday, August 21st after the 1030 service in Connect Central is just for you. For more information and to register, visit wheatonbible.org membership or reach out to Andy Stahl. And finally, we believe God created us to live and grow in community where we can build friendships, be encouraged, and challenge each other to be more like Jesus. Sadly, the fall season is fast approaching, but fortunately, that means that our groups are getting ready to kick off and get into high gear. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll be sharing more, but in the meantime, I encourage you to check out wheatonbible.org groups to learn more about how you can be involved in one of our small groups or a mid-sized group, such as one of our Bible studies or a care group. Well, that's all I have for today. I hope you have a wonderful Sunday and a great week ahead. Good morning. Psalm 100 says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. And today is a special day at Wheaton Bible Church. Maybe some of you have noticed this doesn't look like your normal traditional service as you walk in. And that is because most of you know that we have a traditional and contemporary and a Spanish service that we do every Sunday. And the three of us who plan these services, we don't ever want those, uh, those separation of services to impede on our unity as believers in Christ. We want to love each other no matter what worship style we like, or we want to love each other enough to be able to worship together. And so as Dr. Dr. Payne likes to say, um, today we're going to sing each other's songs. We're going to have the same service for all three services and enjoy different worship styles as, as God has made them for each other. And so if there's a song today that you don't know, that is okay. And we encourage you to lean in and try to sing and appreciate it as opposed to just standing back and saying, I don't know that song. I'm not going to sing. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Yes? Okay. So we encourage you to enjoy it. And um, it's okay if it's a little new or uncomfortable because if we're honest with each other and ourselves is that following Christ is often uncomfortable. And it's okay to do that on a Sunday morning is to get a little bit out of our comfort zone. So we hope you enjoy worshiping a little bit closer taste of heaven than we're used to maybe this morning. We sing to honor and praise the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. So let's stand together and worship. Oh, 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 oh,
And church, let's come to him. Bring all your burdens, all your addictions, all your sins, all your failures, all your fears before the Lord. Come to me, those who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So lift your voice, let's sing. Come to the well that never runs dry Drink of the water, come and thirst no more Come all you sinners, come find His mercy Come to the table, He will satisfy A taste of His goodness, find what you're looking for And come 
down at the foot of the cross Cause Jesus is waiting God so loved the world Amen church, it's because of Jesus that we have hope so let's sing to Christ who is our hope this morning.
church, you may be seated, and we glad and sing hallelujah to Christ, our hope in life and death, the one who came for us and brought us peace. And here's what it took for us to have that. Isaiah 53 says, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Let's read together. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Pray with me, Lord, we are grateful that you did not leave us in our sins. Thank you for sending your son, a son of suffering, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who bore our sins, and he was made sin for our sake so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for laying down your life for us, for me, the chief of sinners. You are good to us, and your grace is amazing and enough. So refresh that in our hearts and our minds this morning as we sing that son of suffering that we remember what he did for us. In his name we pray. Let's stand together and sing again. Oh, the perfect Son of God in all his innocence you're walking in the dirt with you and me he knows what living is he's acquainted with our grief man of sorrows and son of suffering blood and tears how can there's a God who weeps, there's a God who leaves. Oh, praise the one who would reach for me. Hallelujah to the Son of Suffering. So imagine you. Distant and removed, but you chased a star. 
of suffering You are my strength when I am weak You are the treasure that I seek You are my all Seeking you as a precious jewel Lord, to give up I'd be a fool You are my all in Jesus, Lamb of God Worthy is your name good to recognize the Lord's nearness to us. Good morning, church family. I'm Bill Oberlin, pastor of Global Outreach. You may remember that back in June, we invited you to take part in a special above and beyond offering in support of our 16 missionaries and indigenous partners in Ukraine and the bordering nations. In three days across all our congregations, you responded with remarkable generosity. An amazing offering from you of $167,000. Wow. Since then, we've entrusted those funds to our dedicated international workers, and we are now hearing inspiring stories of how God is using your gifts 
Last week, our global staff was able to sit down in person with two of those missionaries. As Mikhail and Katerina were vis visiting us here briefly from their native Slovakia. Listen as they share how the Lord is at work and as they offer their sincere thanks to you. We are Michal and Katarina Ponchak. Uh, we are nationals from Slovakia and we serve with uh, Josiah Venture. Since one of Josiah Venture countries is Ukraine, we have a team about 30 people that were serving in the Ukraine when the war started. About half of them stayed in the country and the other half went into the neighboring countries and is navigating the process of getting other people out of the country. Katarina and I, we live very close to the border with Ukraine, about one hour driving from there. Uh, so we were able to help practically too. We were volunteers on the border in the middle of March, so just a couple weeks after the war started. Uh, we were there because uh, thousands of people were coming to, to the country, and because of that, there were huge lines of people waiting in the cold of winter. So they were cold, they were confused, they were hungry and thirsty, and they were not ready for such a situation. So we were there right on the border, providing some snacks, uh, hot drinks, warm clothes, uh, maybe some information, because some of them would have a family on friends or friends in uh, Western Europe, but most of them just needed to get out of the country to be safe. And after crossing the border, they had no idea what to do or where to go. Even though Josiah Venture is not a humanitarian organization, we focus on ministry with uh, youth, we still felt led by God to help our brothers and sisters in Christ who needed to leave their country because of the war. And so Josiah Venture started a ministry with buses, which practically means that we would take a bus loaded with humanitarian aid in Czech Republic or in Poland, take it to Ukraine, unload it, and then fill it with as many people as possible and take them back to Europe to safety. And so far we were able to send around 60 buses full of 6,000 people out of the country. And we've been notified that Congregation of Witten Bible Church is sending a big donation towards the Ukraine war relief. And we wanted to say thank you because you're the ones who are bringing the supplies and medical aid into the country, people out of the country and creating these camps, which are will be safe place spiritually, at least for young people in Ukraine. So thank you so much for serving them and in their name we want to express our gratitude because we know it's changing their lives. Thank you very much. Well, stay tuned in the coming weeks for more updates from the field. A number of videos and stories will be posted on our social media and also emailed to you in our weekly e-news. As you heard in the video, our giving makes a difference. Your generosity matters. It matters to God. It matters to our global missionaries. It matters to the hundreds of thousands touched by their ministries. And it makes a tangible difference here in our own community through our Puente del Pueblo and other local efforts. 
We invite you to share in resourcing Christ's work through Wheaton Bible Church. You can give online through wheatonbible.org give. You can place your offering at the boxes at the doors at the worship center today or mail your gift to the church offices. Would you join me now in prayer? Our Father in heaven, purity and majesty and beauty emanate from you. May your name be revered. May your honor and reputation become what we care most about. May your kingdom come. May your wisdom become infused into our day-to-day -day lives. Open our eyes to the reality that you rule. Open our hearts to the goodness of your ways. Lord, may there be less and less of a discrepancy between what you desire in heaven and what we value and do here on earth. Thank you for Mikhail and Katerina. Their parents grew up under communist rule. Katerina and Mikhail live in a nation where only about 1% of young adults like themselves know and follow you. Yet you have drawn them to yourself and your light shines through them. We see their devotion to you, their compassion for others, their sacrifices to serve you, and their joy in being counted among your people in their nation and around the world. Though it's faded from our news feeds and TV screens, the brutal war continues in Ukraine. Lord, you are acting and intervening to protect life to thwart evil intentions, to limit human suffering. In the midst of destruction and despair, Lord, give strength to your church to represent your kingdom. May the good news of your gospel bring lasting hope to many. Open eyes to see you. Free people from oppression. Grant healing from trauma. Preserve life. We thank you for our partners with Josiah Venture, with Mission Eurasia, with Little Lambs Ministries as they continue to courageously serve in Ukraine, providing essential humanitarian and spiritual care. Lord, we pray especially for the camps which have been hosted uh, for displaced children and youth in Ukraine, orchestrated by our partners and resourced by gifts from your people and our church family. Lord, may we become more eager to offer our time, our talents, our treasures to have a share in what you are doing. Multiply all that we offer to you, working through your people so that others catch glimpses of you. You are most worthy of our attention 
and affection. And your loving kindness is better than life itself. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, you can find our scripture reading for this morning on page 46 if you have your discipleship journal with you. Uh, Let's give our attention to the reading of Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 34. Uh, Would you please stand in reverence for God's word as we read? While Jesus was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died. But come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him. Excuse me. And he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. When the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. This is the word of the Lord recorded and preserved for us. You may be seated. Right before the preaching of the word, I have uh, just two quick announcements. Um, 
As you probably noticed as you were coming into the church, you noticed a bunch of tables in the atrium, and those are there because I want to extend an invitation to those of you that are already part of our church, that you consider this to be your church. Um, those different tables represent the different ministries and some of the different ministries that we have here in the church, and this is the season of the year in which we are calling people to become ministry partners, people that do ministry with us in this location. During the month of September is when most of our ministries uh, start, or all of our ministries start, children, youth, adult ministries, life groups, Bible studies. Um, is when we get ready with our tech department to, for the next ministry year is when we recruit ministry partners for uh, Puente del Pueblo, which is that ministry in West Chicago to serve the community. Um, and this, once again, is the season when we call the church and we call the members of the church and we call the people that consider this to be the ch their church to become ministry partners, to find a location, to find a ministry in which you can serve. Now, why do we do that? We're not just doing this because we like to do it. We're doing this is because the Lord has given you gifts that, are, uh, that were given to you for the common good. This is part of the reason why whenever I talk about these things, I say that your gifts are not your gifts. Your gifts were given by God for the common good of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says that the part of the body that seemed weaker are indispensable. Therefore, everyone has a gift that is indispensable in the church. God has put you here. God has put me to here. And he has put us together so we could serve one another through our gifts. Therefore, if you are not a ministry partner just yet, or if you took a break during the pandemic... Or you are new to the church. I want to invite you to consider that part of the reason why you have your gifts is because you have to put them to work. Amen? So please, at the end of the service, visit one of the tables, go to the front desk, as someone is going to give you information on different areas in which you can serve. That's uh, kind of a brief announcement number one, brief announcement number two. This is also a season in which we are getting ready for, uh, for the new elders that will come uh, to serve us in the church. Uh, as a church, we believe that the Lord has called certain qualified men to serve as elders in the church. So if you are an official member of the church, um, you have permission, and we invite you to nominate people. You could go to wittenbible.org slash elder nomination, or you could, have, you could get a hard copy uh, from the welcome desk. Amen? Amen? All right, let's talk Bible. Good morning, familia. Uh, I want to welcome you all again to Witten Bible Church, those of you that are always here and get to see face-to-face, -face, and those of you that are worshiping with us online, we are so glad that we get to worship the Lord together. And today, we are looking at the second part of Matthew chapter 9, in which we see Jesus performing or executing four different miracles. And what I want to invite you to do is to consider and reflect on these miracles and to pay attention to those miracles because I understand that part of the reason why Matthew put, put those miracles the way he did in that section is for us to see and understand that Jesus is trustworthy, that Jesus is reliable, that he is worthy enough for us to trust him, submit to him, and obey him. Or to put it in a different way, 
those miracles will help us see that Jesus is worthy of our entire lives. So this is my intention this morning. I want to do something that Blaise Pascal said that we ought to do as Christians. He said this, make religion attractive, make good, men, make good men and women wish it was true, and then show that it is. So that's exactly what I'm going to try to do, hopefully by the power of the Spirit. I want to show you uh, Jesus in a, such an attractive way that if you're not a believer, or if you're exploring Christianity, or even if you're a Christian already, you may know that Jesus is completely trustworthy. And I'm going to show you four things in the text. I'm going to show you that Jesus is trustworthy because, number one, his timing is impeccable. Number two, his love is personal. Number three, his power is irresistible. And number four, his plans are unstoppable. His timing is impeccable, his love is personal, his power irresistible, and his plans unstoppable. Let's go with the first point. His timing is impeccable or perfect. Um, this section of the Gospel of Matthew, um, in, right at the beginning of the text, Jesus is interacting with an, indiv an individual that is respected by society and is respected in society. So chapter 9, verse 18 says that a synagogue leader came and knelt before, uh, knelt before Jesus and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Now, it's important to understand that this uh, person, this synagogue leader, that the Gospel of Mark says that his name is Jairus, um, represented a group of people that actually did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah. They rejected Jesus as the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. And yet, we have this man that is so desperate, like really, really desperate, that not only believes that Jesus can perform miracles, but that he has a high respect for Jesus because he says that he knelt before him. To a certain degree, even though he didn't have, he didn't believe everything about Jesus, he had enough faith to believe that Jesus had the power to resurrect his daughter. Now, as a religious leader, as a synagogue, as a synagogue leader, this public confession says a lot about how desperate this man was. He's completely desperate. And to be completely honest, if I was him, even if I didn't believe in Jesus the way I do today, I would do exactly the same thing. And part of the reason why I say that is because if there is one pain that cannot be described with words, is the pain of losing a child. And I know that there are members of our congregation that has gone through that awful experience. Even nature tells you that that is not the way this is supposed to be. Even nature tells you that children are not supposed to bury their parents, but the other way around, that parents, no, no, that parents are not supposed to bury their children, but that the children are supposed to bury their parents. There was something off when I said it in my head. If it wasn't because some of you guys were looking at me like, I would have never known, so thank you. So abnormal and incredibly <clears throat> painful this is that we don't even have a word to describe that, you know? 
There's no word to describe that. A wife who loses a husband is called a widow. A husband who loses a wife is called a widower. A child who loses his parent is called an orphan. But there is no word to describe what a parent feels or is when they lose a child. Don't you find that intriguing? That's because that pain is so profound that there's no way to describe it. So, of course, it makes sense that this man would go to Jesus even if he, if he didn't completely believe in him. So he goes to Jesus, and look at what Jesus does in mercy. Look at how Jesus responds to this man. He says that he followed him, and his disciples followed Jesus. And in verse 20, when they are on the way to heal and resurrect this little girl, just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And verse 21 says that she thought that if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Now, the Gospel of Matthew doesn't tell us how Jesus reacted. When this lady is touching a piece of his clothing. But the Gospel of Mark tells us that when this happened, Jesus felt power coming out of him. Super interesting. Something happened to him. To the point that verse 22 says that he turned and saw her and said to her, Take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. So here's a question for you. This is the kind of question that I want you to ask. Why would Jesus stop to interact with this lady? Why would Jesus have this conversation with this lady? Why would he even stop to heal this lady? Actually, he could have just kept on walking if he knew that she was healed. Why stop and have a conversation? See, Jesus already had an agenda. Jesus was already on mission. Why did he stop? Why did he turn around to have a conversation with this lady? See, if I'm Jairus, let's try to put ourselves in the, in the shoes of Jairus just for a second. If I'm the father, I'm thinking, why is Jesus doing this? Why is Jesus delaying the miracle of my daughter? I think that if, I were, if I'm the father, if I were to put the healing of this woman that has been sick for 12 years, and the resurrection of a child, resurrection of a child for sure, for sure, I would tell you that this would be more important. I mean, if she has been sick, this sounds awful, right? But I'm telling you how I would feel this, how I would process this. If she has been sick for 12 years, two hours is not going to make a difference. That's what I think Jairus is thinking about. You know what I think the disciples are thinking about? Jesus, how come you stop with this lady that nobody knows when Jairus, the synagogue leader, needs you right now? Why would you stop with this lady that nobody knows if a person of influence and respected by society needs a miracle from you? See, Jesus cannot be rushed. And Jesus' agenda is very different to our agenda. And Jesus is not bound to our time. 
So he performs the miracle. He lets the lady go. And in verse 22, he continues, uh, 24, he continues his way to Jairus' home. And he says that when he got there, he told everyone there, go away, for the girl is not uh, dead, but asleep. And of course, people laughed at him. And in verse 25, he says that he went in and took the girl by, the, by the, her hand, and she got up. So what do we learn from this interaction? That Jesus is always on time. That he's never late and he's never early. He's just on time. That he knows what to do and when to do it. That in his wisdom, he knows what people need and when they need it. That Jesus cannot be hurried. That he's not bound to our sense of urgency. That he does not function according to, according to our time. That he knows exactly what we need and when we need it. That his time is impeccable. Therefore, we can trust him. See, I believe that that principle is extremely important if you are already a believer. Because if you already trust that his time is impeccable, it is much easier to wait and to rest when he is not moving as quick as you think he should. If his time is impeccable, and it is, then it's much easier to wait and rest when he's not doing the things that you want him to do. If his time is impeccable, then we pray differently. See, I pray asking the Lord to do things and change circumstances, but because I know that his timing is impeccable, I know that when he answers and how he answers is the best way he could answer. See, part of our struggle, maybe part of my struggle alone, is that sometimes I cannot think of a good reason why is it that God is not answering this prayer. Am I the only one? Like, I cannot think about any good reason why God is not answering this prayer. But see, because his time is impeccable, I know that just because I can think of any good reason doesn't mean that there is no good reason. Jesus knows what he's doing and why he's doing it when he's doing it. Is Jesus trustworthy? Of course he is. His time is impeccable. He's never too early and never too late. He's just on time. Not only Jesus is trustworthy because of that, but he's also trustworthy, point number two, because his love is personal. Um, out of the four miracles that we find in this second part of Matthew chapter 9, three of them have something in common. Every single one of them had somehow the word touch involved in it. So, for example, in verse 20, when he talks about this woman, he says that the woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up, came up behind him and touched the edge of his clock. And in verse 12, he, he uses the word touch again. If I only touch this part of his uh, clothing, I will be healed. Now, this might not seem, um, uh, for, for some of us, this not, not, uh, may be a big deal. It doesn't make any sense, actually. But for first century people, Based on something that the Old Testament had already said, this lady, if she was struggling with bleeding for 12 years, that means that she was ceremonially unclean. You know what that means? That nobody could touch her for 12 years, and that for 12 years, she couldn't go to church. 
Because the belief was that if you were bleeding that way, anybody that had interaction, physical interaction with you, would be completely, completely unclean. At least for a fragment of time. Twelve years, people. About 4,300 days. This woman has not had any physical contact with anybody. Not a hug. Not a kiss. Not a gentle touch. A lady in complete isolation for 12 years. Did you know that isolation dehumanizes us? Did you know that not being part of uh, other people's lives is against the way we would design it, designed to be? See, if we are created in an image of a tree on God, relational God, we, all of us by nature, are relational people. Therefore, if we don't have those relationships, if there is no interaction, meaningful interaction with other people, that takes a little bit of our humanity away. Isolation is cruel. And 4,300 days... That's the life of this lady. This explains why she came behind Jesus so nobody would see her. That's why she came this in secret so she wouldn't touch anybody. But look at what Jesus does in verse 22. He turned around and saw her and said, Take our daughter. Your faith has sealed you. Question. Why did he turn around? Why did he allow her to touch him? I mean, I'm sure that Jesus knew the Old Testament much better than what she did. Why would he allow this woman to touch him and him became unclean on this spot? Do you know why? I'll tell you later. <laughs> because he's about to do the same thing with the other miracle. See, when Jesus is going to heal this uh, or resurrect this 12-year-old girl, look at what verse uh, 25 says. After the crowd has been outside, he gets to the house, kicks people out, a lot of noise, all of these things. He went in and took the girl by the hand. Touch. And she got up. You know what's crazy about that? That according to the Old Testament, you were not supposed to touch a dead person. You will have to be unclean for a fragment of time. Now, let, let me ask another question. Did Jesus really need to touch this girl? I mean, if you were us when we were looking at Matthew chapter 8, if you remember, Jesus, didn't, Jesus doesn't need to touch anybody. He speaks and things happen. Remember Jesus in the storm? He speaks to the storm and the storm stops. There was no need to touch that girl. Do you know why he touched her? I'll tell you later. <laughs> because he's going to do something similar to these two blind men. So in verse 29, it says, they come to him, they ask for mercy, and then he says that he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you, and their sight was restored. 
Let me ask the question again. Did Jesus really not need to touch this man? He could have just commanded that and their, their sight will be completely restored. Question, do you know why he touched them? Now I can tell you. The same reason why he touched the lady, allowed the lady to touch him, the same reason why he touched the little girl, and the same reason why he touched this man. I'm going to give you three reasons, so pay attention here. Number one, Jesus wanted for all of them to know that he wants to give him more than a miracle. He wanted them to know that what he wanted with them was a relationship. That touch says that God, our God, is personal. That is not just enough to, for him to perform miracles in your life, that he's personal. See, he wants to give you more than miracles, church. He wants to give himself to you. Reason number two. He's not ashamed of touching the people he loves. Even if their uncleanness is transferred to him. See, he did something that nobody would do in that context and at that time. If you were ceremonially unclean, everyone would run from you. But not Jesus. He runs toward them. You know why that, that's important? Because it doesn't matter how unclean you think you are. Jesus never runs away from you. He runs toward you. And reason number three. He does all of that precisely because he's a personal God. Because our God is personal. Because our God does not know how to love from afar. Because that's part of the reason why Jesus came. And this is part of the reason why we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Because our God really, really does not know how to lie, has, does not know how to love from afar. I don't know if you ever thought of this before, but I'm going to put it in front of you just in case. Did you know that there are times in which a touch is much more important than your words? Did you know that? Did you know that sometimes you being in touch is much more important than someone even speaking beautiful things to you? In my own personal journey, I learned that sometimes telling my wife that I love her is not enough. So if you're a man here and you say, well, I don't need to, I don't need to tell you that I love you. You know I love you. That's, that's a lie. But sometimes that is not enough. Sometimes what hiding is, is proximity and a hug. And for me not to say anything at all. Sometimes a touch is more important than your words. Sometimes as a father, I learned that if my daughter wants to feel protected and secure, words are not enough. Sometimes I need to get proximity. I need to get proximity and hug them and hold them tight just for a few seconds. Sometimes words are not enough. You know what I learned early in ministry as a pastor? That sometimes when someone is in a funeral 
and you have lost a loved one, words are not enough. You know what's important there? Hugging people. And offering a shoulder to cry. Sometimes words are not enough. Sometimes a touch is more important than everything else. And Jesus knows that. I'm sure that many of you guys are familiar with the story of John Merrick, known as the Elephant Man. Born in 1862 with an extremely rare condition, terribly deformed on the right side of his face, and his head is twice the size of a normal head. He has an overgrown right arm that is completely useless. His legs could not support his weight. His mouth was deformed, and it was nearly impossible to understand when he was talking. Abandoned by his mother at age four, a carnival claimed him for a human freak show. You know how terrible that is. People making fun and money and profit out of his deformity. Can you see how desperate for affection this man was? One day, a famous actress looked past Merrick's skin and embraced him. He hugged him. The act moved him to tears, for it was the first time anyone had ever touched him in love. Don't you think that Jesus knows that? Don't you think that this is what this bleeding lady needed at that time? Don't you think that this was, this, this was what this little uh, girl was craving? Can't you see how this blind man had never been touched like that before? Our God is a personal God. He does not know how to love from afar. He wants to give not just miracles but himself. Is Jesus trustworthy? Of course he's trustworthy. His time is impeccable. His love is personal. He does not know how to love from afar. He enters your pain. And he holds you tight. He is more present in times of trouble. The psalm says. Is Jesus trustworthy? Of course he is. Reason number three, his power is irresistible. By now, you already know that Jesus has the power to do crazy things. Jesus displays his power over sickness with this lady in verse 22. He says that he spoke to her and he was healed at that moment. Twelve years of agony and pain. Notice that here in this text, there is a combination of the power of Jesus and the tender of Jesus. Can you see how he speaks to her? Daughter, he says. And at that moment, she was healed. He does the same thing for the blind man in verse 29. It says that he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus has power over sickness. Jesus also displays power over demons. We haven't spent much time on this one, but right at the end, in verse 32, he says that he encounters a man who was a demon-possessed that could, that could not talk. But he casts the demon out, he drives the demon out, and then the, the mute spoke. Once again, no big show, 
no exorcism, no people, no people flipping their head, none of that stuff. He speaks, and the demons run out. How about if I tell you that even those two things are not the greatest evidence of his power? How about if I tell you that the greatest evidence of his power, his most supreme power, his ultimate power, his greatest evidence of power is that he has the power to resurrect a dead girl, a resurrected dead girl. But I want to show you something that is beautiful here that we cannot get or grasp in the Gospel of Matthew, but that you see it in the Gospel of Mark. So Mark chapter 5, verse 41, says this. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talita kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Now, the word Talita there, that is translated as little girl, I don't think that is the best translation for that word. Actually, the word Talita is a very intimate word. It's, it's the word that if you are a parent, you would use in those times when you, when you want to show your kids how much you love them. So, for example, when my girls were born, I started using this. I don't know where I got it from, but I use it all the time in which I, when I call them baby girls. I mean, one is 18, so she's no longer a baby, but you know, in my head, she still is. So I go all, all the time, baby girl, how you doing? Baby girl here, baby girl there, baby. By the way, that's a term that only I could use, just in case anybody gets an idea. <laughs> Jesus talks to that girl like that. Baby girl. The second word, kum, which is translated as get up. I think that a better translation of that is wake up. That's why he used the illustration of, but that's why he said that she was not dead, but she was asleep. So before the presence of death, Jesus speaks to this little girl and says, baby girl. Wake up. And she did. That's power. I can't even wake up my girls with that sentence. <laughs> Baby girl, wake up. <laughs> Don't work. But for Jesus, baby girl, wake up is enough to bring someone alive. That is the most significant evidence of his power. That not only he has the power to heal a person and liberate another one from an evil possession, but he has the power to speak to death and the person is, starts to live. Baby girl, wake up. Why does that matter so much? Because if Jesus says that he is for you, I'm with you. Then you in him have the ultimate security. Nobody has the power he has. Your job cannot provide you that security. Your career, your, your career cannot provide you that security. Your looks cannot provide you that security. Your money cannot provide you that security. Your house cannot provide you that security. Your family cannot provide that security. It is the most foolish thing to put an ultimate security in anything or anybody outside of Jesus. Only him 
only is powerful enough to hold you tight and not let you go. So and so powerful that he could raise a dead person. Is Jesus trustworthy? Of course he is. His time is impeccable. His love is personal. His power is irresistible. Because even death submits to him. The last reason why Jesus is trustworthy is because his plans are unstoppable. See, when you look at this narrative, you got to understand that there are three primary reasons why Jesus is doing all of this. Reason number one is simple. He truly loves people. I think that that's clear in the text. He has a heart for people. Reason number two is because everything that he's performing here was to confirm that he was the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. So, for example, in the book of Isaiah, when he talks about the promised Messiah, he says this in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 7. That he says that the Messiah will come to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Everything that Jesus is doing here are signs that he was the true Messiah promised in the Old Testament. But reason number three is because as he's doing all of this, he's giving us a picture of what he's going to bring when he returns for the second time. He's giving us a picture of what your future looks like and what my future looks like. He's giving us a foretaste of what is yet to come. Look at what Revelation chapter 21, verses 4 and 5 says. It says that he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And then Jesus says, I am making everything new. Present progressive. Jesus comes, dies, and resurrects so he could start making everything new. Is Jesus trustworthy? Of course he's trustworthy. His time is impeccable. His love is personal. His power irresistible. And his plans unstoppable. He will make everything new. There will be a day in which there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more uh, rejection, no more shame, no more crying, no more death. Why would we not trust that kind of God? You know, I find it super interesting in this text that none of the people there showed a very strong faith. None of the people there. So, for example, Jairus believed that Jesus could raise his daughter from dead, but he did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, at least not at the beginning. And yet Jesus performed the miracle. Did you notice that? When he talked to this lady, the woman that is suffering from bleeding, her faith is also imperfect. So she, she, she believes that Jesus can heal her, but she doesn't fully understand that Jesus wanted more than just heal her, that he wanted a relationship. Her faith was imperfect, and yet Jesus performed the miracle. See, the blind men, which is super interesting, they were also, their faith was also imperfect because they believed that Jesus had the power to heal them, but they did not believe in Jesus enough to obey him. I don't know you caught that. Jesus says to them, after he heals them, don't tell anybody what I did. And he, they go out like crazy telling everyone what he did. Their faith was imperfect, and yet Jesus performed the miracle. 
See, this is why a couple of weeks ago I said that to believe in Jesus is not about the quantity or the quality of your faith. Because if that was the case, all of these guys would disqualify. It's about the object of our faith. They believed in Jesus. Even when an imperfect faith. How about if I tell you that you and I have even greater reasons why we should believe in Jesus and trust Jesus? Because the same God whose time is impeccable, whose love is personal, whose power is irresistible, and whose plans are unstoppable, later on, which is stuff that they don't know, will go to a cross at the right time. The, the clean dying for the unclean, the sinless dying for the sinful, in order to make us clean before the Father. See, the same God who loves, whose love is personal later on at the cross would experience cosmic loneliness, cosmic isolation, cosmic rejection, just like the lady that was bleeding for 12 years. The same God that healed her is the same God that later on cries out, Father, why have you forsaken me? Do you know why he did that? So you and I wouldn't be forsaken. The same God whose power is irresistible surrendered his power at the cross so we could be healed. Did you know that what he says to that lady, you are healed, is the same word that is used for saved. You have been saved. Completely restored. The same God whose plans are unstoppable died and resurrected and defeats death. So once for all, we know that the last word is not the devil's word, is not the sin's word, is not painful word. Is that one day Jesus will come back to make everything else new again. No more suffering, no more pain, no more rejection, no more shame, no more crying, no more death. Is Jesus trustworthy? Of course he is. You don't need perfect faith. You just need faith. Do you have that? Do you believe that? Let's pray. Lord, in one way or another, we are all represented in Matthew chapter 1, chapter 9. In one way or another, or another, Lord, we are like the father that lost a child and is desperate. In one way or another, we are like the bleeding lady for 12 years that is living in isolation and rejected. In one way or another, we're like the blind man who cannot see. In one way or another, Lord, we are like the demon-possessed man that is bound to the presence of evil. Lord, but the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to heal and restore every single one of them, regardless of where they were in terms of their magnitude of their faith. Lord, my prayer for this church and my prayer for me is exactly the same for all of us. We believe Help us believe more. Only in you we find eternal security.
Only in you we find the person that not only wants to give us a miracle, but wants a personal relationship. Only in you we find someone that steps into our pain. Only in you we find mercy and grace. Draw us near to you because you already came to us. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And we all say? Amen. Let's stand and sing together and turn our eyes to Jesus, our only hope, our only security. Every tongue will shout all the 
Jesus that went to the cross to perform the greatest miracle of all. To save your soul, to restore your mind and heart, to, to make you new. Is the same Jesus that says this to you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be precious and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says, thanks for coming. We love you, church. You are sent.